Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee. I'm just going to take a victory sip. Oh, that's hot. Um, yeah, slightly different format this time around, in that while it is still the morning, uh, for another two minutes at least, um, and, you know, I have a cup of coffee in front of me, um, we're not recording in our usual place, which is the Big Punch Studios kitchen. We're actually recording in my old family home, because... Uh, I'm dog sitting, so uh, I currently have company at the moment. Uh, you may be able to hear in the background uh, the two family dogs, Tim and Finn, wrestling over what looks like a toy mouse. What have you got there? Okay, this is charming. We're actually having a little tug of war. So we have Finn, who is. Uh, I guess he's about 10 years old now, actually, which is kind of terrifying. Uh, he is a miniature wirehead dachshund. So he's a sausage dog, but in terms of body dimensions, I guess he's more like um, one of those cocktail sausages you get. Like he's short of leg, long of body, but not exaggeratedly so. And then he's got like a great big um, mustache kind of face is very very cute he's a lovely little dog actually and uh tim is the puppy he's just turned a year old and he's a border terrier so he's gone from being small enough to ride on finn's back and be carried around the uh the garden to actually being tall enough where finn can walk under his legs and let's face it i mean border terriers aren't massive to begin with if you're having trouble visualising uh, dog breeds, uh, the Border Terrier looks like, kind of looks like the quintessential uh, brown, scruffy mongrel. Although actually, they are, uh, it's a pedigree. It, it's a particular breed. Um, and he is daft as anything. Um, surprisingly strong. The big problem with uh, Tim, as lovely a dog as he is, is that he gets fiendishly excited anytime you come around to visit. He calms down a little bit after about 30 seconds, but for those initial 30 seconds, he loses his mind and charges all over the place and um, really wants to leap up and kind of headbutt you. That's his particular skill. Uh, his incredibly powerful legs for such a small body and can kind of launch himself into the air. And he's got a rather uh, thick skull as well. So if he actually connects, then uh, you're going to be seeing scars. Also, his claws are razor sharp. Um, I'm wearing shorts today, and I've just been my lower legs are just being scratched raw while he's been kind of paddling at me because he's so excited. But uh, yeah, we have a rare moment of peace where the two of them are both uh, are both collapsed with their favourite toys. I was hoping they might say something into the mic, but uh, yeah, I don't want to jinx it now. I'm looking at them; they're actually quite peaceful. These rare moments of peace. So yeah, I'm house sitting, and I'm. Uh, kind of just chilling now on the floor of the lounge of the house I kind of grew up in, you know, drinking a cup of instant coffee. Which is, oh, crying out loud, that's warm. Yeah, as I've mentioned in some previous episodes, my particular pedantic manner of making coffee uh, involves uh, kind of cooling a water. Uh, you don't serve it kind of boiling when you're dealing with proper ground coffee and um, I, I know I am a bit of a coffee snob but I will drink 
uh, other varieties when uh, when the uh, opportunity arises. I um, but yeah, like I said, just the heat difference takes a little bit of getting used to. We have a coffee machine at work where um, which is free and endless and occasionally very appealing. I mean, like I said, I as much as I am a purist and as much as I like my home brew, I you know sometimes I can't deny the appeal of caffeine. Now, what was weird is that I used to get a black coffee out of the machine, as they defined it. So, press a button, there's a great big clanking and whirring, and it spews out this kind of vaguely translucent black liquid. And it wasn't great. But then I kind of, on a whim, press the espresso button instead. And you get a fairly decent, if slightly, slightly artificial tasting, shot of coffee. Which makes me think that if a black coffee is nothing but the espresso and hot water, and that tastes pretty vile, and then if the espresso tastes fine, then surely it's not the coffee that's the issue, it's the water? But then it's just kind of plumbed into the main, so then you start kind of putting two and two together, and you're like, is it the piping? Is there just something kind of vile going on behind the scenes? I mean, sometimes you'd rather not think about it. I... We ended up watching a when we got because we're in the middle of a semi semi heat wave at the moment. It's not as bad as the one from a couple of weeks ago when I remember leaving work thinking, you know what, today was hot, but I think we've escaped the worst of it. It wasn't quite as bad as I was expecting. And then as I step outside and I was wearing sandals because I don't care about the dress code if it's 20 degrees in the office, you know, I'm wearing sandals. And I step outside and my feet immediately start burning. And I'm like, this isn't good, you know, this is warm. And I went to uh, Aikido that evening because I'm training again now after my recent health problems. I'm, I'm kind of on an upward swing now, which is great. And the most beautiful thing about training, aside from the, obviously, joy of improving yourself and finding oneness through violence is um, the air conditioning because it's a dance studio at the school where I used to work oddly enough so yeah you've got a mirror down one side and uh, like a little like a we've got like a horizontal bar running along the mirror for the uh, I guess the ballet folk I suppose but we take it over and we we put mats down and oh it's got the most beautiful beautiful air conditioning you can imagine and that was probably like the coolest two hours I'd had that entire week despite the fact that I was being thrown around and slammed into the floor and whatnot and obviously you get pretty hot and you get pretty sweaty and you're wearing the kind of the gi top which is like the kind of white um, stereotypical kind of karate aikido you know martial art top um, but I wear that because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an aikido student I wear that with um, the hakima and the hakima are the kind of like super baggy black trousers. I mean, it looks like a skirt, if I'm honest with you, but it's actually two very baggy trouser legs. And it is honestly one of the most comfortable <laughs> comfortable things I get to wear because it is so airy. It's delightful. And one of the benefits of being a black belt is that you can be a little bit more flexible about where you stand uh, in a training session. So uh, because I am incredibly self-serving, I managed to manoeuvre myself into the peak position under the air conditioning 
to uh, cool myself down. But the moment I stepped out of there, I mean, this was like 10, you know, no, what, like nine o'clock at night? I was thinking, oh, it must be cool now. It must be cool now. Like I've, I've slipped out of the dojo. I'm going home, car's on, you know, I've got the air conditioning, it's fine. Step out onto the driveway at Big Punch Towers and I'm like, oh my life, I want to die. You know, the air, it's like um, walking through an airing cupboard or, you know, sticking your hand into a tumble dryer just after it's finished the cycle. Like, it was so warm. But yes, off the tail end of that, things got better. <laughs> but now we're kind of in a the, the aftermath, like a little wobble. So things have got warm again. And I got home yesterday and it was pretty scorchy. And I got upstairs and Nick, Ali and Lucy are all kind of like passed out in various stages of melting on the sofas and the lounge. And uh, Lucy's put on a, a video because uh, her reasoning for putting on this particular video was that it was suitably calming and, you know, mind mind numbing. But in the most wonderful way, it was just you could just switch it on and relax. And it was actually a, um, a uh, pre-recorded uh, stream by uh, the Loading Ready Run group. And some of you may be familiar with Loading Ready Run, but they're a uh, uh, Canadian online sketch comedy group. Or, an, or at least they were. Um, maybe like, they've been going maybe 12 years now. And I think Lucy introduced them to me. I think they were one of the first things we bonded over when we met, because we were both working as science technicians. It's not a great job. You know, to be honest, um, we, we you get kind of like bossed around a lot and we'd get these kind of moments of solace where we could escape to the tea room and watch daft little videos on YouTube. And we were a big fan of a gaming website called The Escapist. I'm honestly not sure if The Escapist is still going, as a side note. They didn't really adapt very well to, I would say, the rise of kind of like smartphones and tablets. They were quite a fun little magazine. They did articles, which were quite interesting. They they hosted a lot of videos, which um, was really like the main appeal. Like um, every day of the week, they had a different schedule of kind of comedy or, uh, you know, kind of quasi-informative, educational kind of daft videos, all themed around kind of gaming and geek culture. And uh, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Like um, it used to be the home of Zero Punctuation uh, with Yahtzee, uh, Yahtzee Crowshaw. It used to do... Um, which I'm sure you're aware of, but you used to do these incredibly uh, acerbic and foul-mouthed reviews of games, but all kind of set to uh, borderline, you know, very like almost like MS Paint level animations of a little kind of stick figure on a yellow background. And he was very funny. At least I thought so at the time. Like I had a real, I don't know, developed like a real kind of love-hate relationship with Yahtzee because for the longest time I I thought he was hilarious. Like I I absolutely um. Loved his um, his little videos, and I loved Zero Punctuation. Uh, I even I've even read his two novels, and I I thought they were very good indeed. Um, Mogworld I'd recommend highly. Uh, Jam is very good. His second book is probably a bit more polished, but I preferred Mogworld. I, I preferred. I thought it had like a stronger kind of emotional core. But um, I started. He branched out into YouTube kind of more, and he started doing like a few let's plays and whatnot he would kind of just hang out with his mate Gabriel and they'd kind of just you know talk about all manner of nonsense while playing games and it was funny because this guy who I'd read his books and I admired I thought they were very good 
but you know, his entire online personality was built around being snarky, being kind of like rude. Uh, and that's great. Like in those kind of five minute kind of segments, it was like a, you know, it was a thing he, you know, weaponized and employed very well. It was great. It was a USP. Um, however, kind of like just some of his commentary when, you know, talking with a friend and then kind of like, you know, for an hour or so and kind of posting that stuff up, he just, I don't know, he just kind of tipped over into being generally, is it misanthropic, you know, where you hate everyone? And I didn't, I don't know, I found a lot of his opinions on certainly some of the controversies in the gaming world didn't kind of gel with me. It's only at a time when I think a, a more sensitive tone would have been nicer, you know. I mean, to be fair, like, you know, everyone's allowed an opinion. I guess that's the beauty of the internet. I just, I don't know, I found myself agreeing less and less with the stuff he was saying. And, you know, I don't know, I just kind of drifted away from him. Anyway, massive tangent, because one of the really good things that come out of The Escapist was Loading Ready Run. That was certainly my kind of gateway, thanks to Lucy. And Loading Ready Run were, I guess, kind of like my age, you know, kind of a couple of years older than me, maybe. But they were doing this before YouTube existed. You know, they were doing this just off their own back. And I think that was something I immediately admired. Like they, um, the group of maybe like over the years has been maybe like 10 or 10 or so of them at most. It's been a rotating cast. Like people have come and gone as their kind of lives have taken them in different directions and new people have joined. And they used to do a, a sketch, like a five, six minute comedy sketch once a week. But then they had all manner of like um, surrounding things. They would do uh, a sitcom called um, Commodore Hustle, where they played exaggerated versions of themselves and, you know, going about their daily lives, but they're all awful people. That's the joke. It's, I mean, it's an old joke. It's been done before, but it's something I find very entertaining. And they also got into when Magic the Gathering had its kind of um, renaissance. They were there at the start of that and ended up doing some promotional videos for Wizards of the Coast. But honestly, like, I, I just... Um, I admired them immensely. Like, I, I just... At a time when I hadn't really started making comics, I was so enamoured with these these people. The fact that they were doing stuff off their own back. You know, they were hosting stuff of their own accord on their own website before YouTube came along. They actually jumped across to YouTube fairly late, you know, because they already were doing their stuff. Um, they eventually went on to do uh, Kickstarter. They eventually, uh, you know, they eventually went on to have uh, a patron. And uh, nowadays, I mean, like their, their cask has changed quite significantly. There's only a few members of the core crew left. Um, but, you know, I think they're employing about four or so people full time doing what they do. And they have a number of people who they pay on a freelance basis. And nowadays, they, they're kind of like a pocket empire, really. Patron has really been their their saving grace. Like, uh, they've cultivated an incredible, incredibly loyal and um, involved community. And I guess as the years have gone on, I think my engagement with their content has kind of waned slightly. When Twitch came around and, and suddenly like the rise of streaming content, particularly playing video games and talking, you know, talking over it, with the rise of that, they got very much into that. It started off as like a sideline. They would, um, uh, you know, they would, um, 
when they weren't filming little sketches and whatnot, they would stream and they would play a video game and record it. And they had amazing recording equipment and they cared very highly about their production levels. And so they started, um, uh, you know, they just started going out on Twitch. And with the nature of Twitch, um, people began throwing money at them. It's a, it's a kind of phenomenon I've not really wrapped my head around yet, but um, they started making a lot of money. Uh, so much so that they were able to employ more people. So much so that they were able to generate more content. And it just went on and on and on. And so now I'd say they're primarily streamers. You know, they're primarily, they generate hundreds of hours of content a week. Because they have a large team, they have a physical premise. Um, so yeah, I admire them greatly, even if I think I kind of liked them more when they had that kind of indie sensibility and were kind of making comic strips like I, I i i consumed their material like kind of like voraciously like i just i watched everything i particularly loved the behind the scenes stuff the behind the scenes stuff was so inspirational like the idea that you know a lot of them had day jobs but you know every week they'd be writing stuff in the evenings every saturday they'd record a sketch every sunday they'd edit it and then every monday they'd publish and they just did this you know over and over again and for the longest time i was like oh that's just that's all I want. I mean, substitute comedy videos for indie comics. And, you know, the, the market, the model was essentially the same. And it just proved it could be done without the backing of a major publisher. I just, I admired them so much. And I guess the irony now is that with their streaming and with playing video games, they make more money now than they ever did just generating content. So I, I think the balance is kind of, shifted where now I'd say like maybe 80% of what they do is streaming and it's very entertaining they're charming people uh but you know the actual generating unique stuff has um kind of gone gone to the wayside fallen by the wayside I guess it's that age-old battle between creating something or creation and content generation I mean it's like yeah, if, you, if you're streaming something for eight hours, you are undeniably generating content. But you're not creating something unique that future people may talk about. And I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm a little bit of a... Maybe I'm a little bit of a snob about this. I don't know. I mean, I still support them on Patreon. I still enjoy their content. But I think I enjoy it more now because I've followed these people for like... A decade or so because they've been a big part of my life they've been a big part of mine and lucy's life together there's something we used to just you know like I say something we talked about um we it was you know in that time when we were working together and we needed a break from our jobs it was just something we'd bond over in the tea room and so yeah like i, I love these people in a weird way they're kind of like friends i've never met um i've had some interaction with them over the years I remember asking Kathleen, who was one of the um, kind of founding members uh, for careers advice a few years ago. And she was kind enough. She actually gave it to me. Like she actually was very, very kind of her. She, you know, I said, I, you know, I don't, really pry, I don't mean to pry, but I see you mentioning some videos, what you do for a job. You seem to be writing for a job. How does that, you know, would you mind me asking what kind of, what the nature of your work is? And she took the time to reply and said, yeah, this is what I do. I guess the irony being is that, now, I am actually doing that kind of thing. I do write and edit as a job. 
I've also had some interaction with Paul, who's been another kind of founding member. He backed one of my Kickstarters, which was very, very kind of him. I think he backed the Book of Life Kickstarter. We, uh, one of the coolest things that Loading Ready Run do is uh, they they run a charity. They they run a charity called uh, Desert Bus for Hope, uh, or rather, it's a charity event with the funds going to Child's Play, which is the charitable organisation run by the team at Penny Arcade, with whom they're friends, where they play uh, Desert Bus, which was a sp- kind of like a joke game that was never really released, but long and short of it is, it was on the Sega Genesis, and it's generally, it's meant to be the most boring game ever made. The point is that you drive a bus from Tucson... It's, oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's Tucson to Las Vegas in real time. And it takes, what, 15 hours? And all your only controls... Oh, hello, Tim. Hello. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm getting licked by a dog. Hello. Hello. <laughs> get off. Okay, okay, down, down, down. Hello, boys. Oh, things here. Okay, right. Okay. Tim, no. Okay. Down, boy. Down, boy. Down, boy. Good boy. Down. Hey. Hey, I'm recording a podcast. Yeah, you're going to say something or you're just going to head up the table? Okay, this is so staying in. Hello, Finn. Yes, you're lovely, aren't you? Uh, yeah, so... Hello, oh, hello, boys. You're back again. This is great audio. This is wonderful. You're going to say something? You're going to say something? Yes, hello. Oh, yes, hello. Oh, good, good. I shouldn't have sat on the floor, should I? This was a mistake. Okay, down, boys. Down. Yes. Oh, I lo- yes, I love you too. Yes, hello. You're, you're on the podcast now, aren't you? Yes. Oh, dear. oh, down, down. This isn't getting edited at all. Okay, there we go. Yes, yes. Chill, chill, chill. Good boys. I'm telling a story. Yeah, right in the face. Get off. Get off. Down. Okay, this is... Okay, not charming anymore. Down. Okay. Yes, yeah, so... Yes, I know. Isn't it great when you have a fight on a podcast? There we go. Okay. Yes. So the idea is that you drive the desert bus uh, in real time from Tucson to Las Vegas. Boys, calm down. And you're and all the bus will do is list or drift gently to the left. So you can't even just set the controller straight and let it run. Uh, so that's what they do. And they play this game uh, for charity. And they keep playing it as long as people... Uh, pledge. So the more money that's pledged, the longer they play it. I think they played it for like seven days straight, 24 hours a day. They have various teams. They probably have a collective amount of volunteers, probably like 50 odd, nearly, maybe maybe more people. And it's kind of remarkable. And they earn, they've raised I think over a million dollars. A million Canadian dollars for charity. It's quite, it's quite incredible really. And they have different teams. They break up the work. And it's yeah, it's, it's it's amazing, and um, they do all manner of activities during while the get the gameplay is going on. So there's always someone in the bottom left playing. They're streaming the whole thing. They have a big team. They have a massive technical team behind the scenes, and then they do activities and kind of like pledges and all this kind of like telephone kind of stuff. Oh, hello, Finn. Yes. Well, you're the smart one. You're not meant to be causing trouble now, are you? Yes. Yes, I love you too. You're very cute. Um. Anyway, but um, we, as Big Punch, have donated some items to their... Um, <laughs> I'm getting attacked now by Tim. have donated uh, some items to their charity auction. 
in the past. Oh, good grief, there's a dog on my head. How did this even happen? <laughs> Get, oh my god! Down. Down. No. Ow. <laughs> that really hurt. Ow. Ah. Okay. Um, as a bit of scene setting, I'm, I'm actually sitting on the floor in the lounge uh, with my back up against the sofa and the microphone on the coffee table in front of me. And Tim just jumped on the sofa and started beating me up <laughs> with those aforementioned razor sharp claws. Anyway, the the long and short of it is that the other day we got, I got home from work and the three, uh, my three colleagues were watching a pre-recorded stream from Loading Ready Run, in which two of the team members, Ian and Serge, were making things so they weren't playing games they were doing like a physical a kind of like a craft show really i believe ian was trying to manufacture uh a t-shirt cannon like you do and serge who is a barista was uh making coffee he was doing like a little coffee tutorial which was quite delightful he was explaining the ins and outs of making proper coffee uh you know the temperatures you know kind of like how to treat it score it grind it uh, it was very interesting, actually, and it was nice to know that uh, in many ways I was kind of on the right track. Like I, you know, I cool the water before pouring it. Um, you know, I like to treat it a certain way, but I feel I could up my game. The thing is, like Serge, um, by I think by his own admission, was going into an incredible level of uh, detail and artistry in brewing a coffee. I think more so than you would do on a daily basis. I don't think anyone would have time in their life to do this every morning, as much as I would like to. And I think that's the, pro the proper thing about being, about being like a connoisseur of anything. Like, I think it's very important to, you know, if you care about something, then you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You should be very passionate and uh, open about the care you take in something or the appreciation you have for something which may not otherwise be appreciated. But I think the fine line between being snobbish is, you know, you appreciate sometimes you get what you're given you know sometimes you make do with what you have and i think it's why i'm more than happy to you know drink instant coffee when it's required i'm more than happy happy to you know <laughs> hello go to starbucks or <laughs> hello all the uh all the dogs are back no this is oh well what are we gonna do we're stuck now aren't we get off you maniac get off you're behaving so well both of you honestly you're so desperate to be famous Anyway, we um, long and short of it is, I feel like I can up my coffee game with uh, thanks to Serge for some tutorial. And I think the next step for me will be buying a grinder. I'd like, because uh, I buy pre-ground and I'd like to, I'd like to jump to keeping a score of whole beans and grinding them as required. So maybe that's something I'll look into. Crying out loud, that's a long, long roundabout way to get to saying you want to grind coffee beans. We actually, Lucy and I were actually lucky enough to visit the Loading Ready Run studios uh, when we were in Canada, because they're based out of um, Victoria on um, 
Vancouver Island and uh, we got to f- fulfill a very uh, long-term little dream or goal of ours to stop by their old studio and say hello and of course summer in Canada is always hot so something in common with today and I remember going up into their studio their old studio which was smaller than the current one it was absolutely sweltering and we were all kind of like sweating buckets but they were kind enough to kind of pause and you know, take a photo with us and hang out for a bit. And Serge, who at the time we didn't know very well because he hadn't appeared in a in a massive amount of videos, was kind enough to uh, accompany us as we as we headed off. I think he had to get to work and he kind of cycled a block or so with us just chatting. And I think it was him who insisted we take the photo. So Serge was incredibly kind of polite and charming. He's just a lovely, just a genuinely lovely guy and I think um I think we follow each other on Twitter so might have to shout out and um you know salute the coffee master. We um talking of the dogs I was thinking the other day we I had a I had a dream the other day about Dill who was our former uh family dog who who sadly um we lost um a couple of years ago actually I think it was the week before we all moved into into big punch towers actually and um dill was a i mean dill was a good age like he you know it was he just he'd lived a long life and he'd had a few problems along the way i think he some medicine he'd had once had messed with his liver a little bit so and and he was blind uh but uh but yeah i, I had a it was really odd actually i had a i had a i had a dream about him which was really quite surprising actually because he was running around and, you know, and it was one of those really, maybe it's the heat messing with my head, but, you know, you get like those really um, in-depth dreams sometimes where the details, the logic uh, is kind of fuzzy, but the emotional impact is very high. Like I've had a lot of dreams in the past week or so where I've had a real sense of place, like a real sense of location in a weird way I always get the sense of like a building or complex structures but I can never tell you where it was or if even it was a real place and yeah and often these dreams are coupled with complex events or interacting scenes like a like a movie like it all you get is a sense of complexity without any real meaning but I remember Dill was there and he was running around and he featured in a lot of different scenes and moments and uh, and yeah, oddly enough, he was blind in my dream as well, which which I, I thought I thought was surprising that my subconscious would have dug that up. I would have thought I might have remembered him as he um, in his kind of prime, really. But um, yeah, it was fiendishly sad. Like I am, I am a real I'm I'm a sucker for for dogs or animals, really. The yeah, even when yes, hello, yeah, even when they're slapping me in the head or raking skin off my scalp as this one was a second ago but um yeah like a humanity you know we have our ups and downs but it's like you know dogs are they're entirely our you know if, if, if we mess up a dog that's entirely on us you know all they want is is love and yeah they break your heart little little sogs but um I was reminded of a weird little event that uh, happened not long after we got Dill. He can't have been much older than Tim is now, maybe one or two years. 
but despite both being border terriers, should have, should have specified that you know you couldn't have ended up with two more different dogs. It's astonishing, really. Um, Dill was a nervous dog. He was well, he was an anxious dog. Kind of new situations would kind of like unsettle him. But he was astonishingly strong-willed and intelligent, like incredibly intelligent. And he knew what he wanted. Like, for many things, he was a pushover. Like, you know, he would do whatever. He was, you know, quite obedient. But on occasion, he'd get something into his head where he absolutely wanted something. Like, we could quite happily let Dill off the lead. We never let Finn off the lead. Like, as much as I love Finn, he's too flighty like he's too kind of he just impulsive where he just probably wouldn't come back to you um but dill yeah we could let him go and he'd just be off you know truffling as we said just kind of like checking around sniffing things and then he'd always just look over and see how you're doing and would come back and if you did ever have him on the lead and you'd walk him around the village he knew where he wanted to go like he had a route and if he ever if you ever dared deviate from that route, he would just plant his feet in the ground. He wasn't a big dog. He can't be more than a foot high, but he was muscular. And he would just kind of... He was like a rock. Like, if he didn't want to be moved, he couldn't be moved. Even when he was blind. Even when he was blind, he could navigate his way around, around the village easily. But I remember in 2000... And, I think it would have been 2003, 2004, just when I was kind of like wrapping up my final year at secondary school. I had got a weekend job on a chicken farm just around the corner. And I'd get up at six and I would cycle down to the farm and in my overalls and my wellies. And I would spend six hours, I think, on a morning uh, going around all the various uh, chicken coops, uh, letting the chickens out for the day so they could roam, uh, collecting all the eggs, cleaning the hay, watering and feeding them. Like, it was quite, it was fairly hard work, actually. It certainly, I don't know, certainly made you comfortable with a bit of dirt, shall we say, and and certain smells. Also, those chickens were vicious if they wanted to be, you know. And yeah, and then I'd gather up like several hundred eggs and take them down to the farm shop on a quad bike. So yeah, one of the perks was getting to ride a quad bike, but... Uh, uh, oh yeah, and they kept ostriches at this farm as well. So getting chased by the ostriches like some kind of horrific feathered velociraptor was something. But I remember one morning where it was it was raining, and you know when I was out on the farm, I I just got wet. You know that was it. I mean you couldn't be fussy, and there was almost no point in trying to protect against it because there'd be so much. You know, just you had to get dirty, you had to get involved and, you know, yeah, just getting muddy and wet was part of it. And I remember, um, I think my dad had come to pick me up because of the weather. Like for some reason, I'd um, not cycled that morning, probably because it was raining so heavily. And I, I remember we had just driven, we just pulled back up onto the drive in the house where I'm currently sitting. And it was chucking it down and the weather was really miserable. And just as we're just as we're kind of getting out of the car, this little brown shape comes trotting around the corner from the road. 
quite purposefully, like utterly determined, knew exactly what he was doing. And he just kind of, yes, down boy. Yes, I love you. Yes, no, I'm talking. Yes, hello. Yes, I love you. You're a very wonderful dog. Wonderful dog. Down. I'm telling a story. Okay? Good boy. No. You're not as well behaved as him, were you? Are you? No. Just down. Good boy. So, this little bedraggled... No. Down. This little bedraggled brown shape, utterly drenched, comes trotting around the corner from the road, walks past us, ignores us entirely, and goes and sits at the front door, and then just looks at us. And we're like, Dill? Like, what? You know, like, what the hell? And he just waits for us to open the door, comes inside. And so Dad, Dad and me are a bit baffled, like, saying, what's going on? Like, where's Mom? Like, what's going on? And we, and Mom was out, so she must have been walking the dog. So then we're getting, like, we're thinking horror stories. We're thinking, oh, good grief. You know, maybe Mom's hurt herself. Maybe... She's in danger. Like, why Why would Dill... What, what's he doing off the lead? Where would he... How's he done this? So we go We go hunting. So, you know, Dag's driving around the village trying to find Mom. And I'm... Uh, I go out on foot because I'm wet anyway. So... And we go up into the wood, which was, uh, you know, just at the top of a hill by the village. And I'm kind of going around and shouting Mom's name and or Mom. And... I find her and, you know, she's, and I find her and she's, she's really upset and, you know, the rain's coming down and she's like, I've lost Dill. I can't find him. And, you know, she was thinking he'd gone down a badger set or something and, you know, it's horrific, you know, you know how, if you've ever had a pet, you know how kind of attached you get to them and, and the fear of losing them is, is kind of terrifying. And, and then, so we had to, you know, say, no, no, it's fine. He's at home. And we, hello. Yes. Yes. I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Sorry, they're back. And I remember, you know, mom was very upset. So we got home and, you know, kind of, yes, that's a microphone. Leave it alone. And we calmed it, calmed it down and everything. And we basically, as near as we've been able to work it out, mom had been walking Dill through the woods and had taken him off the lead, as she would do on the woods when we weren't by a road. And I think he basically just said, I'm fed up of being wet. This is horrible. And he just walked home. It was astonishing. He just left mom and walked, I don't know, maybe just under a mile. But we'll never know what route he took. We'll never know how long he was kind of travelling, whether he took a meandering route or whether he just took the most direct route. But the fact that dad and I had just got back was a complete coincidence. He just kind of said, well, sod this and headed off and quite calmly trotted all the way home and sat by the doorstep and waited to be let in. So, yeah, he knew what he wanted, and um, yeah, very sad he's gone. But uh, right now I have two adorable little terrors, Finn, Finn, who went from being Dill's little little brother to being kind of, well, I want to say the wise, older, (laughs) the voice of reason here, but I'm not entirely sure. But uh, Tim absolutely adores him, and right now he's trying to show him a cuddly mouse, which he's been quietly uh, tearing apart. So maybe to stop him eating uh, his own body mass in cotton wool, I better put a pin in it. But um, yeah, thank you for listening to yet another increasingly rambling and 
disconnected episode of Morning Coffee. Um, on the horizon, the Big Punch team are off to the Cardiff International Comic Expo tomorrow. First time we've ever done a Cardiff show. Should be fun. Um, I'm, I'm hearing some good things about this. I think it's been run and organised by some good people. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like. And it's not too far a drive from us, so it'd be nice to return to our own begs. And um, yeah, and then on Sunday, I think we're going to record another session, probably complete the first storyline of our brand new podcast, which will be debuting on Wednesday. And I'm super excited about this one. But basically, we have devised and or are in the process of devising an RPG uh, for Cuckoos, uh, the main series in Extraversal. So the basic gimmick is uh, you, when playing the game, take on a crew, uh, the role of a crew member aboard an extraversal ship. The extraverse being the space between universes, the space between stories, like these kind of vast, echoing, dark corridors between universes and worlds. And you take flight in the shift ship and you go out in search of trade or adventure or maybe even a home. And Lucy, uh, being the kind of mastermind and being... You know, probably the person with the most role-playing experience, tabletop role-playing, has devised a very rules-light system. And we just kind of dove in and we're making mistakes as we go. We're learning from it. And if something works, we're writing it down. And the dream is that this will be a uh, a kind of interactive experience. But, you know, if you're interested in this, we're going to be posting our show notes on the Patreon. You know, you can get involved. You can help us. You can play along at home, you can suggest rules, we'll amend and adapt things as they come. And we did our first playthrough, and it went really well. We're kind of like halfway through a scenario, I kind of half planned and half making up as we go along. But Nick, Ali and Lucy are playing it, and they're doing absolutely spectacularly. It's my first attempt at uh, DMing and I've got to say like I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely and we've already got a second storyline planned and I think everyone's keen to carry on so I'm hoping this become a regular thing so starting Wednesday and then you know weekly from then on we hope you'll join us for Cuckoo's First Flight our brand new show and we can see the ongoing adventures of Capella, Ritua and Lynette the crew of the future legend and uh, I'm really quite excited about it so anyway, hope you have a great weekend enjoy your coffee and I'll see you next time